You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Good morning again, friends, and welcome back for another week in our brand new sermon series titled Ordo. Ordo. For those of you who don't remember your Latin lessons from elementary school, Ordo uh, in English translates as order. Order. For the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to explore and we're going to discover together uh, what normal order, stages, levels, and phases uh, is common to experience here in the Christian life. We consulted scripture. We can, uh, consulted theologians. We tried to figure out what are some like normal guideposts that people sort of traverse through uh, so they know what to expect. We know what's ahead. We know what stage we're in and then which one is to come. And quite frankly, we could not be more excited about this sermon series because this one proves to be our most interactive one yet. In addition to the sermon series that we're going to be in for the next several weeks, we actually also built an entire website and an assessment tool for you. If you go to ordofaith.com, what you'll find is you'll find an assessment tool that helps you. You answer 70 questions. It takes, like, don't let that sort of scare you. It takes literally, it took uh, somebody nine minutes, they told me, between services. So it takes, it's super fast. Uh, and what it does is it gives you sort of like, this is based on what you share with us. We think you're roughly in this stage of faith. And then uh, it goes on to help you sort of not only assess your faith, but track your growth in your faith. One of the things I've known and has bothered me for a really, really long time as a pastor is you know this to be true. You know this to be true. Uh, you and I, we don't stick with things when we can't see the difference. Do you? Think of a diet regimen you did one time or an exercise regimen one time. Or you put in all these different sort of things, these new practices and behaviors at work. If, they, if you don't see the difference they're making, what do you do? You stop doing that. And oftentimes, I think one of the things that can happen in faith is uh, there can be actually real, real difference happening, real, real change happening in your heart and in your mind, in your life, and in the world as a result of you participating in this relationship with Jesus. But if you don't have the tools to track that growth or that progress or that maturation, you might wake up one day and go, huh, well, I don't really know if it's doing anything, and you'll stop. And so our hope is that this tool uh, is useful to you in that way, that if you go and you take the assessment and it tells you, hey, uh, most, based on what you share with us, we think you're in stage three of your faith. Uh, we give a description of that stage, levels of uh, sort of activity in that stage, where you can read about it in scripture, a spiritual diet uh, that we recommend to folks who are at that sort of level and stage of faith, and some sample exercises for you to start considering uh, in your own faith to help you grow and move in the direction God is calling you to move. And so, uh, if you're just tuning in for the very first time, if you missed last week, uh, we shared that over the course of this entire series, uh, we're going to dive into all nine stages, all nine stages of what we believe makes up the Christian journey on earth, on this side of heaven. And we made good use of time because on week one, we covered phase one and two. Uh, we shared that it is our belief as Christians that uh, long before you and I ever choose to be people of faith, long before we ever have a, a hunger and a thirst to, to sort of pursue a relationship with Jesus, it's actually God 
who pursues after us. It is God who initiates and prepares a way for a relationship with us. And so eventually we become aware of that. We become aware of that in church, outside of church, through uh, sort of secular things and sacred things. And today, uh, what's ultimately what that leads to uh, is if you're into that kind of thing, if that's exciting to you and appetizing to you, it leads to phase three, uh, which is the phase known as conversion. Conversion is the stage of faith. It's phase three where you are uh, at a place where you're like, okay, uh, I have been seeking, I have been open uh, to, this, to this God, to this Jesus, and now I'm ready to make a decision. Now I'm ready to make a commitment. Now I'm ready to make a step to experience more of what life and future this God has for me. Now, to be clear, before we dive into this uh, stage, uh, you can arrive at the conversion stage. You can leave here today and take the assessment, which I strongly encourage you to do if you haven't done so already. Uh, and you might get a, a three, you're most likely in a stage three, in a whole, for a whole bunch of different reasons. So the first reason you might get there is just because of what we just talked about. You might be someone who recently your experience has been quite linear. It's been like, well, I wasn't really interested in faith, and then I came to church one time, and now I'm really interested and aware, and now I want to do this. Like, there may be that. But you and I both know uh, that life doesn't always play out that way. There's a nice chronological ideal pattern. We hope life unfolds in that way. But sometimes it's a little bit messy. It's a little bit messy. So you might be in stage three. You might be in that conversion stage and phase of faith sort of linearly. Or you may have come by way of a different path. So again, path one on the left, you're seeking faith for the very first time or the first time in a really, really long time. But you might be here today and you might be reengaging faith via path two. Maybe you're someone who, you've always been around church, and you were raised in church and faith, but like if you were being really honest, you never really engaged. Like you were there because someone you loved really wanted to go, or you were there because you were taught by your mom you should go, but it wasn't until recently that you started showing up for you, because you wanted to be here. You wanted to experience what this God had for you. Or maybe you're path three. Maybe you're here at a stage three in your faith because uh, there was a season of life way back when, when faith was really uh, important to you. You were really serious about your faith. You were really engaged. And then something happened. Stresses of life came in. Worries of life came in. Uh, the internal and the external pressures sort of suffocated that faith and made it go away. And so you're here. You're in stage three because you're trying Again, one of the things I love most about Jesus is that you can try again and again and again and again. And that dude's arms are always open. Amen? Amen? And so as we're digging into this conversation today, um, this might be a conversation for you. You might find yourself in that place, in that stage, in that level of faith. Or you might be listening to this conversation, and this is going to be a really useful conversation for you because you're journeying alongside someone who's at that point. Maybe it's a kid that you're raising. Maybe it's a colleague. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone who has been recently engaged and interactive in this conversation, but they're just starting out. So how do you love and care for them well? Okay? So for your sake and for others' sake, let's dive in. If you got your Bibles with you, if you're watching this online or you're here in person and you want to uh, track along with us today, we're going to be camped out in Luke chapter 15. 
Luke chapter 15, the Gospel of Luke is one of the Gospels, so it is one of the books dedicated to retelling the life and events of Jesus and his ministry here on earth. And to give you a little bit of context, to give you a little bit of background as to what's happening specifically in Luke chapter 15, is we learn, we actually don't even have to guess, we don't even have to guess, right out of the chute, the author shares who Jesus is talking to. All right, so Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So these are folks who are not religious, are not spiritual, probably have not been thinking of the morality of their actions at all, except like in the last five minutes. Okay, and so they maybe stumbled in on accident and bumped into Jesus and sat down and started listening to him. So they're there, they're listening to what he's got to say. And, verse 2, we also have got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So the folks who are very devout in their spirituality. They've been a part of church for a very long time. They're seasoned veterans of this whole believing in gospel thing. And they're a little grumpy about it, too. Uh, They're over there saying to themselves, who is this guy welcoming these sinners? Does he even know who these people are? Like, (laughs) oh, they're going to get some dirt on my religious clothing. Like, oh, my gosh. And so they're having this, like, powwow of people. And when Jesus has them there, he tells these two really strange stories. He tells a story of a shepherd who loses a sheep, leaves the 99 sheep to go and find the one. And he also tells this story about this woman who loses a coin and turns her entire house upside down to find said coin. Those of you who have toddlers, uh, this is like a toddler who loses a toy. Uh, This was us a couple of days ago, right? Got to find the Mimi. Got to find the Mimi. Turn it all upside down. Got to find the Mimi. Um, What's hilarious is I was rereading these stories this week, and I actually don't relate to these stories at all uh, because I am what you might call like a cut-your-losses type of guy. We were at the park the other day. Uh, We have two children, and we found one of them. Couldn't find the other one. I was like, well, we got one. It's lunchtime. Like, I'm hungry. Like, it's fine. Let's just let's move on. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Most days. Um, but Jesus tells these two stories. He tells these two stories. And I actually believe both stories were targeted at uh, a different audience member. So let's start with this first parable, this parable of the lost sheep. I actually think this parable was for the Pharisees. It was for the religious leaders. It was for the uber sort of legalistic and hyper judgmental uh, religious folks in the crowd. He tells this story, this, uh, he has the audacity to tell this story of a shepherd who's got all these sheep and he literally leaves 99 to find one that wandered away. And what he's doing here in this moment, and this is what he says at the end, I love this. Jesus says at the very end, he says, in the same way I tell you, there's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both their heart and life than over the 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. This is a pretty provocative statement. Because if you read it at first blush, it appears like, oh, so does, like, does Jesus love and care about the person who wandered away more than the 99 And that's not at all what Jesus is saying. He's telling the story, and he's telling it in this way to help the 99, a.k.a. all these religious folks, to remember something they have forgotten. That they, too, are the one. Some way, somewhere along the way, they forgot. They were the one, too, once, the one sheep once, who 
who wandered out in the middle of nowhere, didn't know where they were going. They, they have forgotten that they are just as much in need of God's grace as the next person. And so it was an indictment almost upon the way in which they see the world and the way in which they see uh, people of faith, this temptation to go, well, I've been here and I've been part of this church for a long time. I've been a part of this believing community, so I know everything and I'm good. Um, Jesus is saying, nah, dude, like we're all on the same playing field. We're going to talk about that more, actually. I'm going to hold that because we're going to talk about that more once we get to phases, uh, stages five and six. So hold tight on that one. Because then he goes on to tell the next story. He goes on to tell this other parable, this parable of this woman who turns her entire house upside down looking for this coin. And I actually believe this was for the tax collectors. It was for the sinners. It was for the folks who just stumbled upon this Jesus person. They're interested and eager to hear more about what this life he's got for them. And I love this line in verse 10. Jesus says this. He says, in the same way I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over any one of you, over sinners who change both their heart and life. Now, friends, I want to break something down for a second. The word changes there. Uh, in most translations, that actually uh, is translated in English as repent. And repent is one of those words that if you've been around church and for any length of time, you know sometimes it carries a little bit of baggage. carries a little baggage because sometimes people have used that word uh, in ways that uh, sort of connote that, oh, whenever you find yourself on the wrong side of what God wants you to do, repentance is you need to feel bad about yourself, you need to beat yourself up, you need to hate that part of yourself, you need to just totally rehash all of your mistakes, and then you can come back into God's presence. But you want to know something that I love so much about Jesus? That ain't the type of repentance that Jesus is after at all. I'll prove it to you. The word, the Greek word for repentance used in the New Testament, used here, uh, is metanoia. Metanoia. And if you actually do a little bit of digging and you get to the root, so if you study the etymology of this word, what you'll find is that in very, very simple terms, you want to know what uh, Jesus is calling those folks to? He's just inviting you to turn. That's it. Nowhere in there does it say, hate yourself, feel awful about yourself. It just says, when you, by the grace of God, realize, holy cow, I'm walking down a path that is leading to destruction and harm for me and for other people, and it's severing my, my relationship with God. When you realize that, the only thing God is interested in, the only thing God wants is to you to receive and hear the invitation to turn around. Don't go that way no more. Please. Let me show you a more beautiful, a more excellent way. This is the repentance that Jesus is after. This is the very thing he's calling those folks who find themselves in this sort of phase three, this conversion type moment. This is what he's inviting them to. So Kyle, what does it look like practically? We'll break it down even further. So. Again, I'm going to plug the Ordo uh, website and the assessment one more time because, again, if you go to the website, one of the other things that we did was we said, okay, when you find out what stage you're in, you go through the website and you can find, like, what does that mean uh, for you when it comes to the major aspects of the Christian life? How do we measure the major aspects of the Christian life? And so for us, the way we built the assessment was we built it off of these five categories. Sorry, that might be kind of hard to read for you, those in the back, but I'll explain it to you. So... 
Uh, the way in which we based the assessment was uh, we think that a holistic spiritual diet, a holistic spiritual health is measured by A, one's knowledge of God, one's understanding of God, B, your activity when it comes to spiritual disciplines, prayer, meditation, journaling, C, service of others, can't you can follow Jesus, uh, but you can't follow Jesus and hate your neighbor. You've got to love your neighbor. You've got to care for others. Uh, uh, was I doing letters? A, B, C, D. Okay. Uh, church engagement. That one's pretty self-explanatory. Like you're, That's also a part of our diet. And then fifthly and finally, it's witnessing to others. And so as we move through this, you're going to see those levels adjust up and down based off of what God challenges us to do and has in store for us in each of those stages. But understandably, in phase three, at conversion, these levels are going to be pretty modest, right? This is someone who's just starting out. And so when it comes to knowledge of God, really the only expectation is that you understand the general story of who Jesus is, and you understand in general the salvation message that Jesus came to preach. When it comes to spiritual disciplines, this is becoming a new habit for you. So you might be starting out only doing it once or twice a month. This is not something you're doing every day quite yet. It's not something you're doing every week, maybe even quite yet. You're just sort of introducing it to your system. Service of others. So this is something you're also trying to make more of a habit. You're trying to get more in a rhythm of caring for people and participate in uh, opportunities your church is putting on to do so. Or maybe your workplace or maybe in the community. Once or twice a year maybe is where you start. Church engagement. This is another thing you're trying to sort of move into your rhythm. If you hadn't been going to church every single Sunday, but you've been sleeping in, like it takes you a minute to go, okay, like I got to like get that on my weekly rhythm. And so witnessing others, you'll see, fifthly and finally, you'll see that one on purpose is zero. It's because our expectation, when people come to me and they're at this stage of faith, some people come in, they go, yeah, like I know, like I know I got to go tell people about the message and I got to go, and I go, no, 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 actually right now, I don't want you to. And I know this from firsthand experience, it's because when I first came to faith, there was a lot more I didn't know than what I did know. And so this season is actually for focusing on you. And so this is why, this is why, again, you go back to the website, one of the things that we found is when we researched scripture and we researched uh, what have been the sort of historical practices of the Christian church for folks who are at this phase, phase three, conversion, for us, the diet for those folks is three things. Testimony, don't worry, I'm going to break all these down. Community and continuation. Discontinuation, sorry. Testimony, community, and discontinuation. For folks who are at this stage, we recommend these things. What do they mean? What do they mean? We're actually going to do the first two together, testimony and community. So uh, whenever someone is in this stage of faith, the very, very first thing that we have to sort of convince you of is your need for other people, your need to do this not alone. And listen, you can leave here and you can find another religion, another faith uh, that preaches that you can do this all by yourself. You can do it sort of like a, a religion of individuality where it's just you, your, uh, your YouTube channel, listening to all your favorite sermons, your favorite playlist, your gel pens. Do people still use those? They don't use, they don't use those. Uh, journals. You can do that. You can do that. But at some point, you're going to be confronted with a harsh reality that in order to follow Jesus, you're going to have to learn how to do it in community. What does Jesus say? For where two or three sermon podcasts um, and devotionals, there I am among them. 
Now, does that mean God can't show up in devotionals? No, absolutely God can, and God does. But this is a social faith. This is a social religion. You can't love God and love your neighbor as yourself if you're never around said neighbor, right? So the first thing that we always encourage those folks to do who are at that stage of faith is to find a community, find a safe place where you can be yourself, you can share your story, and those folks will be receptive to that, they will be accepting of that, and they will give you a space to thrive and to grow, and they'll also give you a space to share, right? This is Romans 10.9, so this is, this is what I mean by testimony testimony and community. We want you also to be able to share what's going on inside of you and to put it out into the world, not only for their sake, the community's sake, but for your sake. And now, this typically happens in confirmation for us. This happens in baptism for us. We do this because it's not only really, really important for the community to hear those stories, like you heard Sandra's earlier, but it's for you, too. Now, I get it. Some of you are like, yeah, um, I don't really like sharing. Like, um, watching you get up there and speak in front of a bunch of people, like, it makes me sweaty. So, like, I don't really like this very much. Like, the whole sharing thing, and to be quite honest, like, even if it wasn't in a public setting, it's risky to share. Because you don't know what people are going to say. You don't know if it's going to be received. You don't know what kind of listener is on the other end of that. And... There's also these weird internal complications that whenever I share stuff about what's going on, why exactly am I sharing it? What, what are my intentions for sharing it, right? I love this. Uh, a TED Talk came out a couple of years ago by Derek Silvers. Uh, it's actually been viewed like six or seven million times. And in this TED Talk he shares, he goes, um, whenever you're going to make a big change in your life, you're going to make a big transformational change in your life, maybe it's with your job or with your health or maybe it's with faith, uh, he actually gives very counterintuitive ev- uh, a, a sort of like suggestions. He says, actually, whenever you want to make a big change, don't tell a soul about it. Doesn't that feel wrong? But he goes on to say why. He says, the reason for which is because scientifically it's actually been proven that when you share about a big change you want to make in your life and then other people start complimenting you for it, oh my gosh, sister, you're so brave. You're so brave. I wish I had your discipline. I wish I had that. When people share their compliments in response to what you're claiming you're going to do, something happens in your brain where you actually begin to believe you've already done it. And you don't follow through. Give you a perfect example. Right before we had kids, uh, Marie, uh, we were young, dumb parents, and uh, Marie was like, you know what? Before we have children, I'm gonna knit them blankets. Marie's never crocheted or knit a day in her life. And so she's like, I'm going to do it, though. I'm going to knit them their first blanket. So the first time that they arrive into the world, they will be my arms and my blanket. It's like it was a really beautiful gesture, really beautiful moment. Two days ago, I was cleaning out our uh, son's closet. And you want to see those blankets? Here they are. Here's our live picture uh, at those blankets. So beautiful, so warm, so comfortable. But it's valid, isn't it? It's valid. You've seen people do this, or maybe you yourself have done this. You've been something that you've been excited, so excited about something, and you got on social media and you shared about it, and you told your whole world about it, and something happened inside, the motivation just plummeted. So that's real. That's real. So do we just not share anything? Like when we make these changes, should we not confess with our mouths, as Romans 10 says? No. 
this is where it's a little bit more complicated because in response to that, there was also a study done by Ohio State University that found this. They found that, um, yes, while that is true, if you were more intentional with who you shared that information with, so for example, if you didn't share it with the world, but you picked and you chose specific strategic people who you knew would hold you accountable, the odds of you succeeding skyrocketed. In other words, whenever we feel this call to share, we need to ask ourselves this question. Am I, in this moment, searching for accountability, or am I just looking for attention? Am I looking for accountability? People to like hold my feet to the fire with this thing, or do I just want attention? Jesus picked up on this uh, when he, so Jesus has a, several of these moments in the Gospels. He has another one in Matthew chapter 8 where he would heal people. You ever seen these stories like this? Jesus would heal somebody, he'd do a miracle, and he'd be like, don't y'all tell a soul about it. Again, I don't understand those moments because I'm like, tell the world! Uh, but Jesus didn't do that. So he, in this moment, he heals a man, and he does this. He says, he heals him, he says, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. Don't tell, show. Big difference. Telling other people is just, you want the attention, you want the compliments, you want the, oh my gosh, like I'm so excited for you. When you show someone who you're trying to be, it requires vulnerability. It requires honesty. It requires you going to a community and saying, I'm not going to be able to become this person by myself. And so I need y'all's encouragement. I need your inspiration. And I need your accountability. I need you to call me out when I start slipping back into the person I'm trying so hard not to become. And friends, that leads to the last dietary suggestion, spiritual dietary suggestion we have for folks who come to our office, who come and have conversations with us, and they're in this stage. They're in this stage three conversion uh, sort of level of faith. The other thing that we strongly, strongly suggest for folks who are at this stage that we believe is backed by scripture, it's uh, taught so much in the history of our faith, is the other thing that you're gonna have to do and you're gonna have to get real serious about is discontinuing your participation in things that are not helping you become this person that God has called you to be. The Apostle Paul writes it this way. He says in Philippians chapter 3, these things were my assets. So he's talking about you know, his life before faith, his life before conversion. He had all of these things that he considered to be assets, things that used to be super valuable and very important to him. But I wrote them off as a loss for the sake of Christ. Even beyond that, I consider everything a loss in comparison with the superior value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's stating that I've reached this point where I just now have perspective. That if I'm going to choose, I want this more. He's showing that a part of the Christian life, and mind you, this is not just something that happens only at stage three. This happens over and over again throughout the course of the Christian journey. This is just our first exposure to it. It's our first exposure to the fact that when it comes to following Jesus and living your life, there are some things that you're not going to be able to 
have your cake and eat it too. Now, don't for one second think that that means like you have to throw away all the things that you love and all the things that you're excited about and all the things that are unique to your personality. I feel like when I was a youth pastor, I always had to have these conversations because they'd be like, but I don't really want to be like a boring person who prays all the time, like a monk or something. I was like, I know, that's not, no, stop it. That's not actually what Jesus expects of you. Like you can still be you, but what it means at state of conversion, you now have to apply another filter to your life. And that filter is you have to now start measuring everything in your life, the activities you're involved in, your behaviors and your patterns, your relationships, your environments. You have to put a filter upon them that asks this question. Are these things pushers or are they pullers? Looks like this. Is this thing in my life, is it pushing me closer to God? Every time I'm around this person, every time I'm involved in this activity, every time I'm, go, I'm around uh, this sort of environment, I feel closer to God. I feel a, a, a sense of nearness and intimacy, and I feel a, a love for neighbor and others beyond myself. And what things in your life, when you're in that environment, feel like you're slipping away? You're being pulled back into bad habits. You're being pulled back into ways of seeing yourself and seeing the world that's in direct opposition to who and how Jesus preached. And I'm just telling you, like, there ain't no way around it. There's no other path. You might be like, is there a way to, like, kind of, like, bypass that one? There ain't. Like, you got to do it. And I'm telling you, friends, the reason for which is because there's some deep, deep wisdom in learning that you are going to have to choose in this life what matters most to you. And what kind of person you want to be matters most to you, because you can't have it all. And I'll tell you, just to go ahead and forewarn you, go ahead and forewarn you, for those of you who are in this stage uh, or you're going through this at a latter stage, what you'll find is that immediately when you start going through this exercise, you start doing sort of an inventory of what can you maintain in this Christian life and what do you have to discontinue, I'm going to go ahead and forewarn you. you. Ready? Two voices are going to show up in your brain. Two voices. At least in my brain, they sound like this. The first one shows up as a voice of pride, and it typically goes like this. Whenever I feel like I'm being invited or nudged or urged by the Spirit to discontinue something that's harming or holding me back from a further and deeper relationship with God, always there's a voice that goes, man, you can do both. You can do both. You're strong enough. You got enough willpower. You got enough discipline. You can do both. You can be who Jesus has called you to be and continue to dabble in that environment that is fiercely pulling you away. Uh, You can do both. You're strong enough. And maybe you are. Full transparency. Maybe you are. I am not, and I was not when I was first at this stage of faith. I'm not strong enough to do it. Almost every single time when I found myself at those sort of uh, junctions in life, almost always when I tried to maintain being both types of Kyle, almost every single time, one of them won out. Spoiler alert, 
It wasn't the Jesus-y one. This is why Jesus says what he says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to one and have contempt for the other. And so the first voice you'll hear is one that tries to convince you that you can, you can do it all. You can, you, can be, you can have your cake and eat it too. And the second voice, this one's different. This one's different for me at least. The second voice comes uh, in the form of guilt. Uh, in the form of guilt. You see, um, especially when what you're being invited to discontinue is a relationship, when you feel like the Spirit is saying, look, dude, I don't know how you and I can be close as long as you are dating this person or working in this environment or continuing to suffer in this friendship. At those moments, there's always this little voice of guilt that says, but what's going to happen to them if I don't, like, hang out with them anymore or date them anymore? Like, what? Mm-mm. I don't want to do that. And friends, this is where I would just remind you of the ancient, beautiful, spiritual wisdom of your flight attendant on Delta Airlines. That you really do got to put on that life mask. You got to put on that oxygen mask yourself first before you start trying to help other people. Because if you don't, you ain't no good trying to protect or preserve or help someone else's faith if you lose yours in the process. It's a mute point. Doesn't matter. Self-care, self-love is not selfish. Remember the great commandment that you are to love the Lord your God and you are to love your neighbor Somebody finish it for me as, yeah, yeah. It all is born from that. I'll close here. How we're going to close each of these weeks uh, for the next uh, several weeks, how we're going to close and wrap up each of these conversations on each of these stages is uh, I want to point out for you one more. I want to point out for you one more trap, one more uh, ditch uh, that uh, you and I would do well to avoid when we're navigating this particular phase or stage of faith. And we've already kind of been um, talking about a little bit about it this morning, but friends, the one you're trying to avoid here in phase three, stage three, this conversion stage, the trap you're trying to avoid is something we might call fickle faith. Fickle faith. Fickle faith is a faith that uh, you are engaged in your relationship with God. You are engaged in your relationship with community. You are engaged in spiritual disciplines and loving your neighbors when you feel like it. But when you don't, it ain't really that active no more. Another way I like to say this is I like to call this mood-based spirituality. Mood-based spirituality. Anybody ever suffered from that before? Like, I really want to, like, do the Jesus-y Christian things, but as my son says, I'm not the mood for that. (laughs) You want to know something really interesting about moods, though? I was doing some research uh, on moods, and scientists actually believe that uh, mental health professionals believe that there are a whole range of factors that impact your mood. 
So some of you came into worship today, you like were squabbling with your partner on the way in. You're like, I don't really don't know why I was in a bad mood, but I felt like picking a fight, so daggum it, I'm going to do it. And sometimes it's like a mystery to you. And you want to know why it's a mystery to you? It's because scientists believe that your mood is comprised of all of these things. The weather, the relationships, mental health, triggers, stress, poor sleep, hunger, the news, hormones, vitamin deficiency, low blood sugar, lack of exercise, medication, caffeine, and that's the only ones I can fit on the screen! This is just a good reminder that, friends, sometimes, golly, we weigh some of the most important things in our lives based off of something as unpredictable as the chance of precipitation tomorrow. And the remedy for this, how to avoid this trap, this pit, actually comes from the Psalms. Psalm 42, verse 11, uh, David writing kind of like his own spiritual journals, writing his own spiritual diary. He's having one of the moods, okay? Woke up, having a bad mood, okay? Maybe there's a chance of rain. Maybe he wasn't getting his vitamin A. I don't know what's going on, but he's discouraged. He says, but I don't, like, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Okay, forget it. I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. What David is showing us here is that part of how you avoid that trap of fickle faith, that mood-based spirituality, is you have to reverse the current. Instead of being someone who allows your mood to dictate your movement, you've got to be someone who does the exact opposite. You've got to be someone who moves first and watches their mood follow. Or to use the words uh, of Peter, Peter says, uh, my, my, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Friends, when you find yourself in that moment, God, for the love of God, please follow your spirit. Your flesh will follow eventually. Because friends, your flesh wants to keep you right where you are and your spirit is desperately trying to lead you into something to become someone that you never knew was possible thank you for listening to the peak podcast make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found for more information on how to get connected with our church please visit us at thepeakchurch.org